You're listening to Comedy Central. March 11, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Joining us tonight, first, here to talk about New York City's response to the coronavirus, Mayor Bill de Blasio is joining us, everybody! And then, and then we're gonna be joined by the star of the new show, Dave, Lil Dicky is here! Also, on tonight's episode, Bernie Sanders isn't going anywhere, toilet paper could get you killed, and Joe Biden is sick of your shit. So let's catch up on today's headlines. All right, so look, normally we would catch up on all of the headlines from around the world. You know, maybe we'd talk about Harvey Weinstein getting 23 years in prison. Uh, We could talk about the Supreme Court giving President Trump a victory on immigration. But today, there's only one story the entire world is talking about, the coronavirus, AKA COVID-19, AKA mumbo number death. It's now in 110 countries with over 122,000 confirmed cases, and it looks like it's only getting worse. The World Health Organization today officially designating coronavirus as a global pandemic. Congress's in-house doctor told Capitol Hill staffers at a closed-door meeting this week that, that he expects 75 to 150 million people in the United States to contract the coronavirus. New tests led by the U.S. government scientists show the virus can live in the air for several hours and on some surfaces for up to three days. Oh, okay, that's a lot of information, so let's try and break it all down. First the World World Health Organization has officially just declared coronavirus a global pandemic, which, yes, is scary for us humans, but from corona's perspective, it's pretty cool, yeah? (laughs) No, because for a virus, this is like going platinum, you know? It's it's a big day. Started from the Wuhan, now we're here. (laughs) I think it's pretty cool for corona. And yes, I'm saying that because I hope if I suck up to corona, it'll leave me alone. I, uh, I'm not sure if it'll work, but I'm gonna try it. Now, the second piece of information is a little more disconcerting. Congress's in-house doctor says up to 150 million people in the United States could end up getting corona. Yeah, that is half the country. And then the other half won't get it because they're clearly losers who don't have friends. (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna be like, like, how do you not have corona? Has nobody touched you? I'd rather be dead. (laughs) And the third point uh, might be the most scary. Uh, We're learning that this coronavirus can stay on some surfaces for up to three days. Yeah, although in New York, it doesn't stay as long because it can't afford the rent. That's the good news. (laughs) The housing crisis is real. Now, on some surfaces like cardboard, apparently corona can only survive for a day if it's cardboard. But then on harder surfaces like glass, it can survive for much longer. So like your cell phone, that could be a problem. Yeah, my advice, clear your browsing history. I mean, you might still get corona, but at least the doctors won't see all the freaky shit you've been searching on your phone. (laughs) Is this your emergency card? Wait, what the hell? (laughs) And look, guys, I know we're all scared, but it's important to keep a clear head. Panic is not gonna help anything. 
Right? We're still learning about this. We're still learning about the mortality rate. And panic is not helping. Because right now, some people are letting their panic make them dumb as shit. The impact of the coronavirus being felt across the country now affecting everything from air travel to schools to what's on store shelves or what's not on store shelves. In some cases, some retailers seeing a run on many of the basics. Well, just a crazy scene at a grocery store where toilet paper has been in high demand. Yeah, surveillance video shows a stampede of customers clearing the shelves. Fights over toilet paper breaking out in grocery stores as shelves run empty. People. What are you doing? <laughs> I really don't understand what people are doing. You do not need to panic over toilet paper. <laughs> Water, I would understand, right? Food, medicine, yes, but you can survive without toilet paper. <laughs> don't forget, you're in a bathroom. Oh, how will I clean my butt in this room with a shower? <laughs> like, I, feel like, I feel like people in first world countries don't know what to panic about. <laughs> Toilet paper? Are you shitting me? Like what's, what's next? Are people just gonna be running around Walmart like, oh, where's the car wax? Oh. <laughs> and maybe it's because, it's because where I grew up, there were times when we didn't have toilet paper. Honestly, when I was a kid, we didn't have toilet paper. We always made a plan, right? You can use newspaper, you just rub it together. This is a true thing, right? You can use paper towels. Hell, everyone in America has a dog. Push comes to shove, you wipe your ass on the dog. Yeah, freckles, get out here. <laughs> You're like, I'd rather use my hands, Trevor. <laughs> Look, man, just avoid panicking. Because if you panic, you stop thinking clearly. And if you're not thinking clearly, then you'll start to believe anything that you hear. And there is a lot of bad information that is out there. Well, the spread of the coronavirus, it's also led to a lot of spread of misinformation. There are more rumors going around on social media about how to avoid the coronavirus. Eating garlic, drinking bleach, snorting cocaine, yes, and masturbation are not miracle cures for coronavirus. Yes. <laughs> drinking bleach, <laughs> snorting cocaine, and masturbating is not the way to cure corona. It's the way to kick off the most rock and roll party of your life. That's what that is. That's what that is. And I don't understand how anyone even falls for any of that. None of those things gets rid of the coronavirus, right? Bleach gets rid of stains. You can't drink it. It's not gonna help you. Garlic gets rid of vampires, okay? <laughs> Cocaine gets rid of your money. That's it. <laughs> In a way, the only thing that makes sense is masturbating, okay? <laughs> yeah, it won't cure you, but if you stay in and you do that all day, you'll probably have less chance of catching the virus. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, if the CDC really wants people to self-quarantine, forget the Purell, they should just be handing out lotion. Here you go, stay home <laughs> and uh, social distance yourself. You know what I mean. <laughs> all right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> the Democratic primary race is down to two major candidates. The old man from Up and the old <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> and because yesterday was another big day on the path to the nomination, it's time to catch up on the latest developments in our ongoing segment, World War D. <laughs> yes. 
Yesterday, Democrats in six states went to the polls to cast their votes and get some coronavirus. And after a strong showing on Super Tuesday, Biden picked up right where he left off. Former Vice President Joe Biden expanded his lead in the Democratic presidential race. Biden won in at least four of the six states which voted yesterday. He took the battleground state of Michigan by double digits. Biden now leads the race by 150 delegates, which significantly narrows any path to victory for Senator Bernie Sanders. Looking at the math tonight, I think it's almost certain that Bernie Sanders does not have a mathematical a path to becoming the Democratic nominee. Let's shut this puppy down and let's move on and worry about November. This thing is decided. There's no reason to keep it going, but not even a day longer. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that, that talking raisin needs to calm down. <laughs> yes, Joe Biden had a great night. That doesn't mean you have to shut the primary down immediately. <laughs> this is the presidential race, not a kissing booth in the Wuhan province, all right? Because look, it is true, it is true that because of last night's results, there have already been calls for Bernie Sanders to step aside and let the slightly younger generation take over. But (laughs) let me tell you something. If you think a little turbulence is gonna shake Bernie Sanders out of the race, you need to think again. Senator Bernie Sanders earlier today making clear he has no plans to drop out of the Democratic presidential contest. On Sunday, I very much look forward to the debate in Arizona with my friend Joe Biden. And let me be very frank as to the questions that I will be asking Joe. Joe, what are you going to do about the fact that we have the highest rate of childhood poverty? What are you going to do to end the terror that millions of undocumented people experience right now? What are you going to do to end the absurdity of billionaires buying elections? Joe, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, uh, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do when they come for you? <laughs> so yeah, for now, Bernie Sanders is not dropping out of the race. And what was interesting is some people were worried that the only reason Bernie was staying was to burn the party to the ground. But after today's speech, it seems like Bernie wants to push Biden to a more progressive platform. And I actually think it's really nice of Bernie that he's giving Biden the questions beforehand. Yeah, you know, he could have made it a surprise, but now he's like one of those cool teachers in school that tells you what's gonna be in the test, you know? And you think they're being nice, but they just don't wanna see your ass again if you get held back. That's why they're doing it. I need you to pass, okay? So it's gonna be interesting to see Bernie putting pressure on Biden in their first one-on-one debate this Sunday. And I'll be honest, I think Joe Biden is ready for the fight. And I say that because yesterday, a video came out of Biden going toe-to-toe with a factory worker in Michigan, and he was fired up. Earlier in the day, touring an auto plant in Detroit, Biden had a testy exchange with a voter over gun rights. How you intend on getting the union vote when there's a large portion of the union workers that are gun enthusiasts, and you are actively trying to diminish our Second Amendment right and take away our guns? You're full of shit. All right, thank you. Now, shush. Shush. I support the Second Amendment. I have a shotgun, I have a 20 gauge, a 12 gauge. My son's hunt. You need 100 rounds. So when you were in Beto, when you said you're gonna take our guns, I did not say that. That's not true. I did not say that. It's a viral video. It's a viral video like the other ones they're putting out that are simply a lie. God damn. (laughs) Wow, I, I can't believe Joe Biden got into a fight with that factory worker, especially considering that he was surrounded by all of his boys, I mean. Yeah, that's risky. I guess so at the same time though, Biden knows those guys can't touch him. 
not because of Secret Service, but because of coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> no one's touching anyone. It's just like, hold me back. No, seriously, hold me back, hold me back. It's very important right now that we maintain social distancing, all right? But when we get a vaccine in 12 to 18 months, I'm gonna kick your ass. <laughs> Until then, wash your hands, you're mine. <laughs> Now, after this video came out, a lot of people, even some Democrats said that the worst part of that exchange was Biden telling a voter that he was full of shit. But what was interesting is that that factory worker went on Fox News today and what he had to say was uh, really different. When you looked at this confrontation, it lasted for a long time. What's your response about his use of profanity? Uh, you know, I- I'm kind of used to it. In, in, the, in the workforce, and uh, as a politician, I can understand the way how things have gone. You're not supposed to use profanity, but in this day and age, it's a language. I'm not gonna hate him for that. And I use it all the time. Most people use it all the time. Wow. I, I won't lie, I was impressed by that. You know, that factory worker still doesn't agree with Biden on guns. He wasn't pretending to be his friend, but what I liked is that he wasn't gonna pretend to be offended by the profanity. And you could even see the Fox News anchor wasn't expecting that answer. Look at that face. (laughs) Right, he looks like he was expecting a surprise party and instead he walked in on his parents having sex. That's what that face is. (laughs) And maybe one of the reasons this guy wasn't offended was because whether it's Trump or Bernie or Biden, voters seem to like it when politicians talk like normal people. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I'm hoping that this straight talking, you're full of shit, Biden, becomes his new thing. Yeah. Soon Joe Biden will just be walking into diners like, hey, asshole, that's a good looking pickle. <laughs> Which is what your mom said to me last night. <laughs> All right, vote for me, fat ass. We'll be right back. As mayor of the nation's largest city, my first guest is responsible for helping New York City confront the coronavirus outbreak. Please welcome Mayor Bill de Blasio. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome, virtual handshakes. Virtual handshakes, the new thing. very good. Yes, virtual handshakes and Y5s. Um, (laughs) let's, Let's jump straight into it. This is a very strange time for people. Yes. I will speak for myself when I say it is a very confusing time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I should be afraid, should not be afraid, should be a little bit more panicked, not panicked at all. Where do we stand right now from New York and then from what you know about what's happening in cities around the world? You know, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, the famous quote, we have nothing but fear, but fear itself. You know, there, there is an element of this that is fear that's been generated beyond the facts, okay. beyond the reality. And so when you really look at coronavirus, it's serious. We have to make a lot of adjustments to address it. But um, I worry that it's becoming sort of the cause for making a bunch of decisions that actually alter all the rest of our life, including in some very bad ways. Let me give you an example. Some people are saying close our schools. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a lot of evidence that this disease, thank God, does not really have that much of an impact on healthy children. Right. Okay. The, the, very sadly, the biggest impact is on older folks with serious pre-existing medical conditions. And when we say older, what is that range? What is Certainly that? over 50, but I think in reality, it's much more. We see the, a lot of the fatalities, 70s, 80s kind right. of thing. 
So it's not to, folks, God forbid anyone is hurt by it, but when you think about folks saying close everything, close schools, when in fact the evidence says our kids are, thank God, pretty safe, mm -hmm. and we want our kids to get an education, and a lot of parents say to me, our kids need the schools not just for education, it's where they get their meals. It's parents who don't have any other choice where they're gonna have their kids if right, they don't have the right, schools. Right. So it's thinking about the whole picture. We do have to make serious adjustments and government has to act and people have to act, but let's not make this the false idol. Let's you know, have an honest conversation about what it is and what it isn't. So, so then what is it in that regard? Because I think what's been really tough in America particularly is that uh, from the top, it seems like the president is slightly more concerned with how coronavirus affects his image as opposed to setting that, expectations that was for like the nation. the nicest thing you ever said about Donald Trump. Coronavirus. Fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. But, but, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is, it, I, I have noticed that, you know, we, as a society, we have lived through multiple pandemics. Yes. We've lived through multiple epidemics. Yes. The difference now being specifically in America People don't know what the messaging is because from up top, it seems there is no discombobulated messaging. at best. There is no messaging. Right. Look, we had a chance weeks and weeks ago for the president to say, this is a very serious thing. It's gonna be with us for a long time. You're gonna to have to make some adjustments in your life. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get through this together. We got everything but that. And what the president really should have done was get the testing out there to the local level where we could actually get ahead of this. They still haven't done it. They still haven't done it. So. So let me ask you this. Can people get tested? Should people get tested? If I feel sick, should I go get tested? How, how does this even work for people in New York? And, and, and how do you think it should work, uh, you know, scaling outward? So one day I think we're gonna have such abundant testing capacity that it's something that could be really broadly brought out into the population. Mm -hmm. But until that day, the focus on people with symptoms, folks who have traveled to the most affected areas, folks who have been in contact with someone who does have confirmed case of coronavirus, that's where you gotta start. But you know, doctors can do a very initial test. They have it right now that's not about coronavirus. They can tell you if your problem is something else. Right. They do it all the time. It's called a biofire test. And it tells you you've got all sorts of common you know, issues, cold, flu, et cetera, kind of things. Um, once you know that you're sick and it's not one of those more traditional things, we want those folks to get a coronavirus got test, it. obviously. So we have a sense of priority. And what we're finding is among the, we have 53 people as of today who have tested positive. A lot of them are at home, they're, they're healthy, they're seeing it through. They're having very limited symptoms. Some are in the hospital, some are in tough shape, others are coming out of it. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not just one thing, but I do think the idea is why don't we as a nation mobilize all our resources, get the testing truly to be all over the country where it's needed, get people tested in a really extensive manner, then we'll know what's what, and we can get people help. Listen, 80% of the people who get it have very little uh, negative experience. It's right. like colder flu in reality. For the other 20%, most of them have a tough time, but they'll come out okay in the end, except that small percentage of God forbid, and that is typically the oldest and right, folks who are really ill who may not make it. Is, is it. is it uncomfortable to say for a person in a leadership position, hey, the people who are going to die from this thing were the people who might have just died from anything else. And I'm, I'm not even saying that as like a joke, but we, we've accepted that with, with certain other things in life. Where we go like, hey man, because of your respiratory illnesses, because of your age, because of this anything, you know, if you got a chest infection, it could have killed you. If you got this, it could have killed you. Is it hard for leaders to just say that, hey, uh, yeah, you, you, are, you are already like on death's door, man. This thing's just gonna take you out. Or do you, do you have to like, 
is, is, is that, is that, does it make the messaging harder? Because it sometimes feels like as right. leaders, you guys have to be like, look, I mean, some, maybe there's some of you, just uh, whereas I, you, I know you can't say it, but it would be gangster if you guys could just come out and say like, hey, if you were gonna die, you were gonna die. And Corona is just like making that happen. Trevor, I, I really don't think you should run for public office. I, um, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Yeah. But, but I but, honestly, like, I, I, what, like, what balance do you have to maintain yeah. as a leader, like, in terms of being opaque versus telling people, like, like you're saying, don't panic. Let me, but let then me. at the same time, you're saying people must change their lives. So what does that mean? Right. So I'll give you an example to your previous point. So my predecessor as mayor one day said about uh, kids who are in danger, kids who are in danger of child abuse, he said literally at one point, we can't save every child because some of it is beyond the reach of government that we don't even know about until mm -hmm. it's too late. I heard that and I found that chilling. I think our goal is actually to try and save everyone, right? Our goal is never to give up on anyone. So that's why, even though I get your point about people in public I hear life, what you're saying. there's a second side of that. Uh, we have people who are older, who have those serious medical conditions, mm -hmm, who are mm -hmm. in the hospital right now, who have coronavirus and are fighting for their lives. And what we should say is, let's pray they get through, let's give them all the help. And mm -hmm. some of those folks will come through. So you don't give up on anyone. But the honest thing is to realize what it is and what it isn't, right? If it is something that for the vast majority of people doesn't have that bad an impact, then when we're making all the other decisions, schools, workplaces, right, subways, you gotta worry about, and I look at Italy, I look at Italy now, the entire society shut down, the people's livelihoods shot to hell. You, how much time was it gonna take to ever get back to normal? And what's that gonna mean for the people who didn't have money couldn't afford the rent, their, their lives fell apart, their careers fell apart, all this stuff. So you gotta balance the whole equation. And, and one thing, you know, my uh, public health professionals believe, they think six months is probably a valid measure right now of what it's gonna take us to get through this to some kind of normal again. That could change, right? But why don't we just level with people and say, we're gonna go through something together. It will not be easy. You're gonna to have to make adjustments. You're actually gonna to have to look out for each other. You're gonna to have to change some of your habits. Like, mm -hmm. government can't do all that for you. We have to do a lot. What are some of those habit changes? Like, you know, you sneeze like this, Got right? It. You do the elbow bump, and if you're sick, here's a crucial one. How many of us, how many of you have gone to work when you were sick, right? Everybody. The American ethic, not you, God bless you. <laughs> you don't come from here. So you come from a part of the world where people think they're sick, they don't have to work. In America, what do we do? We power through, right? Yes. Don't do that. If you get sick, stay home. That's if, really but, different. But that's if you can afford to well, stay home. Well, we have paid sick days in New York City, which is something I'm very proud of. Passed in my administration, five days paid sick days every year, so you can take care of yourself and okay. your family. Okay. okay. We should have that all over America. Right. So, in fact, in those five days, you're going to find out if your disease resolves, which right, is okay, colds, okay. flus kind of yes. thing, or if it's something worse. And then let me ask you this then, are there any plans to cancel gatherings and events in the city? So for instance, a lot of shows are saying that, hey, from next week, we're gonna be, we won't be having audiences. Um, some people are saying, uh, is New York gonna shut down sporting events? For instance, the Golden State Warriors said, hey, there's gonna be no fans at their game. I'm assuming Knicks fans would hope the same thing will happen to them. Um, <laughs> Are you planning to I, cancel? I got, I got a mercy request from the Knicks. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> please save us from ourselves. But uh, <laughs> um, look, the one thing I worry about is the cascading effect. It, it's one thing to come up with clear criteria, and we intend to do this very shortly, that says here's the kind of adjustments we need. 
But what I worry about is they become no longer about health and facts, but they become sort of a rush to the exits. And again, you're seeing major nations in states of shutdown. That would be devastating for the United States. It would be devastating for New York City. So how do you strike a balance and say, okay, first of all, the folks who are sick, if you're sick, don't go to anything. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're older and you have those pre-existing conditions, cancer, diabetes, et cetera, don't go out to major events or any place with a crowd because you're just so vulnerable, right? But for healthy people, how do we create some standards of the kind of places you can be and you know, create some balance? That's mm -hmm. what we're trying mm -hmm. to do. You still can spend time with people. I, I don't want a situation where folks feel they can't go out and do anything. That is not a winning equation. It's what's the kind of situation where you're not too crowded, yes. there's a little more space, uh, a little more uh, safety in that dynamic. I think we can come up with that standard, keep our economy going, keep people healthy, and, and we're gonna ride it out. And if everyone participates, the other thing we're saying to people is you gotta look out for each other. If you're a grandparent and you wanna go visit your grandchildren, you know, it's important for folks to say, I know you wanna do that, but right now might not be the right time if the kids right. are not feeling well or something like that. How do you sort of create some balance? If you have a, a, a neighbor, uh, who is not doing so well in life, right? They're, they're older, they're not so healthy. How do you help them out? Maybe you bring them meals, right? right. So they don't have to go out and be vulnerable. It's a kind of, it's a little bit more of a communal solution than just a governmental solution. And actually what we find with New Yorkers, and I think it's true all over America, is in crisis, people actually get very generous. They get very kind and compassionate. And they find something in themselves that we often don't see in our society. If everyone steps up, a little bit of change your own life, a little bit of look out for other people, we can actually get through this. We actually can. Let me ask you one last question then. The president has said to people, I don't think we should panic. Uh, you know, I don't know if this thing is gonna be that bad. It could go down to zero and people have criticized him for some yes. of that. But what would you say is the key difference in your messaging versus his? Because some would say, oh, but that's what Trump is saying. He's saying everyone should calm down. Things are gonna go back to normal. What is the key? messaging difference that you think the president may be missing out on? So you know your history and you know, uh, they used to say when the nation would go to war, don't worry, it'll be a really quick war and the boys will be home by Christmas. Mm -hmm. Or famously, George W. Bush on the aircraft carrier with mission accomplished of course, for Iraq. Of First of all, the president of the United States has committed, I think, a, a fundamental uh, sin here in terms of being a leader by not saying to people, you know what, this will take a lot of work, sacrifice, this is gonna be with us a long time. There's no instant gratification here. He abrogated his responsibility to tell people the truth. And you know, when he said, oh, you know, when the warm weather comes, it'll go away. I mean, what the hell was that? I mean, that's not even, that's not even be, there's no science anywhere near that, right? I mean, that's even more than his other unscientific statements. So the, I think it is crucial to be honest with people. It's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be um, a simple thing to deal with. It's not catastrophic. It doesn't mean the end of civilization because you want, you know, you know they say consumer confidence about the economy. Well, there's mm -hmm. almost societal conf uh, confidence. Right. People have to believe that we can get through it. They have to believe that things can still function so they want to participate. You don't want parents scared to send their kids to school. You don't want people scared to go to work. You don't want our public servants scared to go and come help us, our first responders, our healthcare professionals. So you have to strike a balance. But I actually find people respond a lot better to real talk. So it's a big deal. It's gonna be with us a long time. It's gonna take sacrifice, it's gonna take adjustment, but it is not Armageddon, despite the excellent 
uh, montage you and I talked about with your... Oh, yeah. Like I said, is this how we die? Yes. Yeah. This is how right. we die. Right. Yes. Right. It's not actually that. Right. It actually isn't. And, and, you know, I think an honest conversation is actually calming. I think telling people, you know, we, tell, we did a thing here in New York every day. We say, here are the numbers. We try and give them a sense of what's happening to people. Mm -hmm. We try and be really honest about what we know and what we don't know. I think that's another thing. People want to hear the truth. And sometimes I know what I don't know is the most honest statement you can make. Right. And so nobody on earth fully understands this disease. It's brand new. But we know enough to know that we can fight it and that we can deal with it. And we also know it is not. Look, we had Ebola in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, let me tell you. I brought it. I know. Okay. <laughs> then, Trevor. Trevor, I really have an issue with that. And I've been wanting to talk. I was like, I know you want publicity. But this is not the right way to go about it. Bringing Ebola to New York City. So, but, you know, that's like... You say hello to someone and everyone dies, yes. right? I mean, that's a yes. staggering disease. We had it here. You know, New Yorkers were amazing. It was the, the patient who had it was at Bellevue Hospital. And those doctors and nurses and technicians, everyone was like, they showed up for work. They were ready to go. They were ready to fight this thing back. And all New Yorkers saw that and took confidence and went on about their lives. Right. That was Ebola. So, you know what? That's, there's something about uh, being a leader where you don't discourage people from having faith and strength and, and create fear, nor do you tell them, oh, you know, just look away from the problem. Mm -hmm. It's all going to be fine. It's going to be done by April. you got to tell people truth and then invite them to be part of the solution. And that's what we're trying to do here. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Amen. Really appreciate it. Mayor Bill de Blasio, everybody. We'll be right back. Thank you very much. My next guest is the rapper and viral sensation known as Lil Dicky. He co-created and currently stars in the FXX comedy series loosely based on his life. It's called Dave. Please welcome Dave Bird. Wow, what a greeting. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No, man, thank you for being here. Um, first, first of all, let's, let's start with this. What, what do you want to go by? Is it Lil Dicky or are we going by Dave? Are we going by Dave Bird? Because you're, you're in one of those rare positions yeah. where all of your names are becoming famous. Yeah. Which is rare for people. That's cool. So are you, are you going, because you, the show is called Dave. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you meet me in person, which I think is happening right now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I certainly prefer Dave. I feel like, like Lil Dicky is just an aggressive way to greet someone. Although I feel like, I feel like the little ahead of it diminishes some of like the aggressiveness. You yeah. know what I mean? Because if you say like, hey, what's my name? You're like, Dicky. Then it's yeah. like, wow. Just like two. But if you go Lil Dicky, it's yeah. like, oh, okay. A I can two handle word that. Name, a two word name is tough. Two word names yeah. are tough. I like that. So yeah. Dave. Dave, yeah. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks, Trevor. And congratulations on your new show, which is already getting some great reviews. Thank you. Yeah, the, I put my heart and soul into it. You, you. You, you really did, though. People yeah. say that, and they, it's like, ah, but my heart yeah. and soul. But you put your heart and soul. This is a story that is loosely based on your life, which, yeah. is, which is a really interesting one. Yeah. You've loved rap your whole life. Yeah, sure. You wanted to be a rapper. Yeah. You wanted to make music. Mm -hmm. Your parents were like, we're not going to give you the money to do that. No. <laughs> but fortunately, I had a bar mitzvah. And <laughs> it was kind of out of their hands, so. 
Wait, is this a Jewish crowd? I can't believe the reception. <laughs> so, but so, you know, I had X amount saved up for my bar mitzvah and my parents actually wouldn't even let me touch it until adulthood, which in retrospect was a great call on their end. And I spent that money on financing my first music videos as a rapper. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you wait, you took the bar mitzvah cash. Yes. And then you made your first content. Yeah. What, do you, what, what did you use the money on? Music videos, you know, the lights and the camera and paying the people and oh, the, damn. the models. Okay, and, oh yes, but then I remember, but then, but at some point there was a Kickstarter as well. Yeah. How did that come about? Yeah, so I, eventually I, that bar mitzvah money ran out pretty quick. <laughs> that, that was like, that was like three, or, three videos worth. And then, Got it. And then to really sustain a career and like to like pay rappers to get on songs and yes. like to, to tour, I just needed more funding. So I did a Kickstarter and I, I raised $113,000 and that was wonderful. that as an origin story because a lot of rappers you, you don't know where the money came from or where like a lot of rappers just like got the chains got the gold got, yeah. but, but you're like where did you get it from right, and then know. here you're like bar mitzvah chains bar mitzvah very, yeah. this is everything's right out there for right. people to see yeah. you, 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 you've really blown up because your rap has been really interesting in that yes it is very funny but you don't like to think of it as comedy rap. Yeah. There, there are funny moments in the rap, but yeah. many people have said you're, you're a really good lyricist as well. Yeah, no, I, I pride myself on, you know, being an elite top tier rapper. And I feel as though, you know, obviously I make a lot of jokes in the, in the music, but uh-huh. it's like, I don't feel like being funny and being a good rapper should be mutually exclusive. Right. You know, like, I feel like before, like comedies weren't always movies, you yes. know? Like it was yes. just, it was like gestures in like a castle making jokes and then like, I mean, I don't know if I'm even making sense right now, but then eventually, <laughs> eventually they made comedy movies and thank God they did. Right. They're so fun to watch. <laughs> but I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. You're saying like comedy can exist in any form yeah, or format. Why not? You can write it down, you can act it out. Yeah. You, you've chosen to take your life, turn it into a comedy, put it on a show, yeah. and, and that's what Dave is about, loosely based on your life. Yeah. But what I like is you don't tell us which parts are loose and which is based on your life. Yeah. Just up for interpretation. <laughs> Uh, There's a lot of interpretation, though, yeah. in the show. Well, it's like a hot... I'm fortunate that where my, my life is, like, incredibly entertaining. Like, I'm literally, like, a famous rapper. I go around the, like, world and rap. Yeah. But then at the same time, like, I really am just, like, a, like a loser and a Jewish kid who, like, can't even record half the time because his nose is too stuffed. You know what I mean? So it's like... <laughs> it's like a very interesting juxtaposition that I'm living in. <laughs> yeah, truly. Half the time I can't even record because my nose is too, I'm not even kidding, it's like, and I wear like an, I have to wear like a neck pillow just to hold my head up because my, my posture is so bad. And my, my recording setup is so unsound ergonomical. I'm not even kidding, like this is all factual. <laughs> yeah. Truly. So, so, so help me understand, because I've, I've seen you talk about some of these stories and and some of them are, are really, they seem sincere, but then I don't know if they're a joke because you know, you know what I like about the show is you, 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 you're telling us a story of your life. Either way, whether it's loose or based, yeah. th- there, are some, there are some really heartfelt moments. Yes. You know, you're laughing and then you're like, wow, I feel sad for this guy. And then you feel sad for the world that he's in. And, and I feel like you as little Dickie or even as Dave, you, you've managed to, to exist within two worlds where you make fun of yourself, but you're still good in creating the music. Yeah. And then you talk about things that most rappers wouldn't dare, for instance, you talk about having a micro penis yeah. when you were young, and that's what, what inspired Little Dicky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like I, I, I'd be lying. This is, this is true. Yeah, like I, I have like a like if you were, you know, I have a small soft penis, and like 
I all, and so that's like, I, and I, I have tons of sexual insecurity, and I think right. like I can't even tell my life story without like really talking about my sexual insecurity. So I think that greatly informed my rap name, and like you know, episode three of my show comes out tonight, and it's really like all about that, and I'm really right, bearing right. my soul. And uh, Do, does, it, does it ever get weird to you that it sounds hilarious? No, I know it's Because funny. it's a comedic trope that has been used yeah. for so long, but then you're like, no, this is my life, and then the people, we're laughing. Yeah, no, it sounds very funny. I'm happy with that. The fact that that is the reality is, is I think, good for me, because then, you know, it's like heartfelt, but then funny at the same time, which got I think it, is got the got ultimate right. form of comedy. When people watch the show, what do you want them to walk away with? Like, how do you want them to feel about Little Dicky, the artist? What do you want them to know about Dave? Whew, I'm ill-prepared for that question. Uh, <laughs> I think when, when they watch the show, I, I, I feel like the show contextualizes Lil Dicky to an extent. Like, right. I feel like when people meet me, they oftentimes say, I didn't, I didn't know you were gonna be a nice guy. I thought you'd be an asshole. Uh, and, but I really feel like I'm a very kind man, and I think the show kind of shows the guy behind you know, the decisions that go into right. making, you know, Lil Dicky be what he is. And I think if you watch the show, I don't care what your dream is, I feel like you can apply it to the show because like I had like a very improbable dream and it, and it came true and I think that's kind of the core of the show and everyone out there probably has their own dreams and I think if you watch the show, it'll inspire you to act. Not act like be an actor, but act on your dream. Act on your dreams, yeah. but not act like an actor. Unless your dream is to be an actor. Unless your dream, oh, then you, then you then act on inspire your dream you to by act. acting. Yes. I, th I think we we're got on the it. same page. Yeah. We're, on, we're on exactly the same page. This is going well. This has been a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Dave, it's a really funny show. It airs Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on FXX. Dave Brunn, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.